This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. We have uh, been in a series as of late. This is the last week of the series on apologetics. And uh, apologetics is simply defending your faith. And uh, it's having the answers for the people that ask you about the hope that is within you. And having good answers, intelligent answers, answers that are thought-provoking and will actually lead people to the Lord in your conversations. You know, it's, it's important to understand that we don't have to be argumentative in those answers. How many have ever been in a religious argument? Okay. No one's been argue, ever been argued into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But giving them the argument in a gentle and respectful way is so important. Giving them a clear presentation of the gospel often involves answering questions that aren't always easy to answer. And so to be ready to defend your faith is important. That's why we're doing this. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we kicked off talking about the person of Jesus. Everyone's got to answer the question. Everyone has to really answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Many people believe he was a good teacher, but can't bring themselves to admit that he was who he really said he was, the Messiah and the Lord of all. The question can be answered pretty easily by just using some critical thinking and some common sense, and we went over that very well. I've gone kind of over a little review every week of the series, but he was either the greatest liar the world has ever seen, a deranged lunatic that was willing to go to his death for his claims, or he was exactly who he said he was, Lord of all. This question... Um, has to be answered by every single person. We also discussed defending your faith to the science community with all of their so-called proof that discredits the existence of God, the claims of Jesus, and the Bible as being accurate. And if you're willing to do a bit of your own research, you will see that real science doesn't contradict the claims of Christianity at all. In many cases, factual evidences and, and science bring validity to the claims of Christianity. Last week we got into the subject um, of should we or should we not trust the Bible? Can we trust the scriptures? And is it, is it reliable? Is it a relevant book? Um, and we even considered, we got into con- looking at the manuscript evidence and there's no other book that even comes close to the Bible in the amount of manuscript evidence that is available. The Bible is truly the inerrant word of God. It is sourced in God and the men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote it down. God breathed it into man. It is timelessly relevant and has no contradictions. Can I get an amen? Amen. Y'all awake this morning? All right, just wanted to know. Seem a little docile. You know, they used to have wooden pews in churches to keep you awake, but since we've gotten to be such a cushy, spoiled nation, we've got these nice pads in the pews, right? There's a lot of pad on the chairs. I'm a little worried about that, that uh, some of you are going to get a little too comfy, but uh, I'm glad you're awake today. So today we're going to jump into another question that comes up when sharing your faith. What about all those other religions? 
How can they all be wrong? And isn't it arrogant to believe that Christianity is the only religion that is true? How can Jesus Christ be the way to heaven, the only way to heaven? And these are all incredibly relevant questions that you will be asked if you share your faith on any level whatsoever. You have to be ready to give the answer. I want to tell you this just, just straight up because I don't like to, I'm not trying to hide anything. I want you to know straight up what, what this church believes, what this pastor believes, that there is absolutely zero other ways to reach God except through Jesus Christ. There's only one way. All other ways are false religions and they will not work. Okay, if that's arrogant, I'm arrogant. If that's wrong, then I'm really wrong. But I assure you it's not. And I say that because I've heard so many people in younger generations within the church begin to say things like, well, we believe Jesus is is the way, and we go the route of Jesus, but other religions, those aren't bad people, and they have their way, and God honors that too. That's not true, church. That's why we have missions. That's why we are evangelical, because this message of the good news has to go forth so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand themselves that he is the only way, hopefully to the place where they'll accept him into their hearts. There is no other way. Look at your neighbor and say, there is no other way. Look at your other neighbor and say it again. There is no, absolutely no other way. And if you believe there is, I'm sorry to say you're, you're sorely wrong. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? It's just the way it is. I didn't make the rules. He did. So to tackle this subject this morning of what about all those other religions, I thought it would, be a, it would be a good idea to cover a few of the world's most popular false religions. And, and you're going to see some of the fallacies right away when I get into it. But you're also going to see some similarities that they have with one another and even with Christianity. And as we go uh, through these, I want you to think of instances that you have seen these particular religions have and how they've influenced the culture. Um, also, keep in mind that no religion receives the scrutiny or the attacks that Christianity does. Not even close. Okay, so let's start with Hinduism. Hinduism, you ever heard of it? It's a big religion. It's one of the world's oldest religions, dating, uh, uh, dating back to its development between probably 1800 and 1000 years before Christ. There are many groups or denominations, if you will, of Hinduism. Every one of them has slight differences in their beliefs. It is both a religion and a way of life. And so in that respect, there is similarity to Christianity, right? Christianity to us is a way of life. Amen? To some who call themselves Christians, it's not a way of life. It's just what they do on Sundays. But to us, it's a whole way of life. And so we have that in common. But those similarities begin to fade away as you begin to dig deep into what Hindus believe. They are polytheistic, believing in many gods. In fact, it's been estimated that they believe in up to 33 million different gods. Okay? 33 million. And, and I want you to understand, Hinduism is not something that's just somewhere over there in India and in those places. I believe Pastor Bryce is in the house. Welcome back, my brother. <laughs> Thank you. 
And he's going to share next week some of uh, his uh, experiences on his trip. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And, uh, you know, but you experienced Hinduism uh, on your trip quite frequently, or you were basically saturated with it, I'm sure, to the point where you couldn't take it anymore. And he's going to even share about some of that next week. But um, uh, Hindus believe that all things are a part of God, that souls are reincarnated at death, and that our lives are influenced by karma. Good and bad actions in this life determines one's status in the next life. That's karma. The goal of Hinduism is to achieve moksha, This is a release from the cycle of reincarnation to become one with God. Okay, so you can see some things that just aren't really, well, they're just a little messed up, right? But you can also see how certain people, even within the church, begin to say things. I have heard Christians say, I believe that we get another chance after we die, if we don't do a good job, to come back as somebody else and get another opportunity. This stuff leaks into the church, folks. It leaks into the church. And why does anyone want to believe that they get uh, uh, an unlimited number of chances to be reincarnated and come back and make sure they do good so that karma can can, uh, release them uh, and they can experience moksha? Moksha? I can't even pronounce the word. If I'm pronouncing it wrong, forgive me. But that release from the cycle of reincarnation so they can become one with God. I mean, that's a really fun thing to believe, isn't it? Because that means you can do whatever you want in this life. And then you get another chance. And you can do whatever you want in that life, and you get another chance. Do whatever you want in that life. There, there's no accountability to that. There's no reason you have to, you know, maybe a thousand lives from now, I'll do good. That's very convenient, isn't it? It's completely untrue, but it's convenient for the person who believes it. There is no single person who's, who founded Hinduism. The most famous Hindu is probably Gandhi. Um, you might have heard of a guru. How many have ever heard of a guru? We use that in our terminology, don't we? Oh, he's a real guru. She's a real guru on that. A guru, this comes from Hinduism, uh, can, can help a gu- and guide a person toward total realization of God. Other important beliefs are personal disciplines and observances of many rites and rituals. They believe that all life is sacred. How many know we believe life is sacred? But we don't believe plant life is sacred. They believe all life is sacred. They teach that no particular religion teaches the only way to salvation. Above all others, many roads lead to heaven. You know, that this is some of the things they believe. We know that many roads don't believe to heaven. I just quoted this, John 14, 6, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus Christ said. Some people have said, well, I believe part of Hinduism, and I believe part of Christianity, and I believe part of these other religions, and it, it, just, it just works for me to, uh, to kind of combine them all and come up with my own. Folks, if that's, what, if that's somebody that you're dealing with, if you're talking with them, if that's you, or if that's somebody that you're talking with, understand something, their own God, they are their own God, right? Because they're making up truth as they go. If truth is sourced in you, then you are, you are your own God, if your truth is sourced in you. But we know that truth is absolute, and it's sourced in God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Brahma is the pervasive, genderless, infinite, eternal truth and bliss, which does not change, according to Hindus. 
yet it is the cause of all changes. Brahman is a metaphysical concept uh, in the single binding unity behind diversity and all that exists in the universe. I'm getting kind of technical here. Brahma is the creator God in Hinduism. So it's very common to hear the God Brahma, but in Hinduism, and there's other gods as well, 33 million as we talked about. Hinduism, or at least parts of it, can be found in all sorts of places within this society. The New Age movement, has anyone ever heard of that? Transcendental meditation, they're all popular movements that are really founded on Hinduism. Meditation is a big part of Hinduism, and yoga, they have become popular forms of stress release in our society. And classes can be taken at local gyms and many colleges. And this doesn't mean that meditation is bad. I mean, we're to meditate on the word day and night, right? What you meditate on is pretty important. And you may be in a yoga class that has helped you physically through focused stretching and balanced exercises that benefit your core muscles, right? And these aren't necessarily bad. Just be aware of your own motivations and be a part of these things. They can become religious. They can creep into those things very quickly, an unbalanced focus on personal health and fitness can become very unhealthy, right? Where not taking care of yourself is just as bad on the other, perspective, on the other spectrum of being unhealthy. There's over one billion people in the world who practice Hinduism. It's not something that we shouldn't be aware of. We should know what they believe, and it's kind of hard to nail that down. They just believe in many gods and achieving uh, this moksha, which is getting out of the uh, cycle of reincarnation and becoming one with God. If you encounter someone who's practicing Hindu, is a practicing Hindu, the main thing to remember is this. They believe salvation is earned. You keep trying to reach moksha through many reincarnated lives. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a free gift given to us by God the Father when he gave us his only son, Jesus, who died on the cross, paying the price for our sins. Amen. Amen. Boy, you're quiet this morning. It's no fun preaching about false things. I like to give you truth, but let me give you the truth. These false things are false. <laughs> Buddhism. Buddhism. This religion came into existence around 500 B.C., Siddhartha Gautama okay, was a struggling Hindu, and he didn't feel that his Hindu belief system effectively explained all the suffering and pain in the world. Through his religious contemplations, Gautama became Buddha, the enlightened one, and he began to teach others the things he was supposedly discovering. Pure Buddhism is more philosophical and really more philosophy than it is religion, a godless pietism or an attempt to be holy in and of ourselves. How I many know that don't work so well? Buddhists started to revere Buddha as a deity nearly 500 years after he died. Buddha himself did not believe he was deity. They speak of salvation through faith in him. Buddhism is considered by Buddhists to be a personal journey to an enlightened state of being. This is achieved by accepting the four noble truths and following the eightfold path. And I want you to follow this very closely because you're gonna see some similarities here, even with Christianity. Buddhist four noble truths. Number one, life is filled with misery and suffering. 
Number two, this misery and suffering is caused by our own selfish desires. All misery and suffering is caused by our own selfish desires. Now, on one level, as Christians, we believe that all sickness, death, disease, terrible things in the world are the result of sin. How many know that that's true? Sin as a whole. But some groups of Christianity take it to the next level and say, well, if something goes bad in your life, it's because you have sin in your life. How many know that sin in your life can cause bad things to happen? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have sinned. I mean, this happened in the scriptures. Who sinned? You or your father kind of thing. Oh, you have a disease? You must have sinned. You must have hidden sin. Not necessarily. But some of these kind of views seem to creep into the church once in a while. Number three, misery and suffering can be eliminated by getting rid of selfish desires. Wow, that would be great, wouldn't it? I think and I, I, I believe that the blood of Jesus covers us, right? And that we can get through any tough thing in this life as Christians, right? With his help. But I don't think that being a Christian excuse you, excuses you from being in this world. You may not be of it, but you are still in it and you will experience some bad things from time to time. You just will. I mean, if we start to believe that, well, misery and suffering can be eliminated if I just get rid of all my selfish desires, that's going to lead us down a road that we don't want to go down. That's not going to work so well. Number four, the fourth noble truth. These desires are eliminated by following the eight, these selfish desires are eliminated by following the eightfold path. And here's the eightfold path. One, right views. Two, right thoughts. Three, right speech. Four, right conduct. Five, right vocation. Six, right effort. Seven, right alertness. Eight, right meditation. You could take this, these eight things and you could reword them and put them into a self-help book and become a motivational speaker and preach Buddhism and nobody would know it. And that happens, actually. Buddhism is gaining popularity among media and sports celebrities. Let me give you just a few celebrities that uh, are considered Buddhists and have made claims to being uh, at least not just interested but involved with Buddhist-type worship. Jennifer Aniston, Orlando Bloom, Kate Bosworth, David Bowie. Here's a blast from the past. Herbie Hancock, Jeff Bridges, Jackie Chan, Patrick Duffy. William Ford, who's the executive director of the board and of, of, the, of the Ford Motor Company. Richard Gere, Goldie Hahn, Kate Hudson, George Lucas. I think it's very interesting. George Lucas directed Star Wars. And one of the things about Buddhists are they, they love this, this idea of balance between good and evil. I wonder if that plays out in the movie Star Wars a little bit. See, some of these beliefs affect cultural things that, and is it, are, are you going to go to hell if you watch Star Wars? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but understand, those thoughts and those things are influenced by their beliefs. Just like our thoughts and actions and what we do are influenced by ours. And it's important to recognize them. Ron Reagan, who's the son of President Ronald Reagan. Tiger Woods. Sting. Steven Seagal. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook. Bill Clinton, since being president, he's still searching for something, I guess. 
These are just to name a few. There's a lot of people, even within our culture, who are, who are into Buddhism. And understand, when you know what Buddhists believe, you will start recognizing its influence, again, within our culture. It's this middle-of-the-road, balanced-life doctrines. Uh, they're so welcome. Uh, there's such a welcome change for those who are in the spotlight constantly. Why is it so appealing to celebrities? Because their lives are crazy. And so someone starts telling them, well, you need to be balanced in all things. Well, we know that those concepts are also in the Word of God, right? Today, there are more than 350 million followers of this false religion, with over 6 million of those in the United States. Here are some things to understand when talking with someone who is Buddhist. Salvation cannot be achieved by having right thoughts and right conduct. You cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift. You know, we know that Buddhism is an offshoot of Hinduism because it was created by a Hindu who wasn't satisfied. He had to go further or something. There's a lot of similarities, and one of them is this. They both are works-based salvations. Christianity is a free gift. Sets it apart. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not about actions, even though Christianity produces actions within us. It's about this relationship that we have with Christ and this free gift that we can accept. Both Hinduism and Buddhism talk about nirvana, a state of higher being but have differing views on what it means and how to get there. Both, however, depend on man's ability to perform. One of the common denominators of, these, of all of these other religions is man's ability to perform, to do something, to have a certain behavior. Or uh, th- These are all works-based religions and are different. All religions in the world are sourced in what man does for God, except Christianity. Christianity is all about what God did for man. You get in these conversations with people, you are going to run into uh, these, these, uh, these types of religions. You just will. How many have ever talked to a Buddhist before? How many have ever talked to somebody who is Hindu? Like two? Well, we don't have those in Indianola. You want to make a bet? Maybe you just don't talk to them. Folks, here's the thing. Why are we a missions organization? It's getting hot in here. Why are we a missions organization? To reach the lost. And we do that through missions giving, and we do that through our own personal evangelical type life that we live. We do that by reaching out. We do that by sharing our faith. We do wherever we go. We live it out, right? Nod your head like this. Okay. Just want to know you're awake. I don't care who you talk to or what religion they're about, or even if it's a made-up one, they all come back to the same thing. They're all sourced in what man does for God. Christianity is very different. It's all in what God did for us because his love ran red. We couldn't earn that. We don't deserve it, but he did it. It has been said that religion is man reaching up to God. Christianity is God reaching down to man. All other religions are just that. They are religious. 
Christianity isn't about a religion. It's about having that relationship with God, a relationship that he pursued with us, and by grace we have recognized it and entered into it by accepting what Jesus did on the cross to make that relationship available. Here's another one, world religion. Pretty important one. We deal with it probably all the time. We hear about it all the time, but it's Islam. No religion has gotten more press in the last 15, 20 years like the religion of Islam. Islam was founded by Muhammad over 600 years after Jesus was born. He was a businessman in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, and began to preach submission to the god Allah, the one god, Allah. His claims are that he began to do this as a result of a vision of the angel Gabriel who gave him the Quran, Islam's sacred scriptures. Today, Islam is the religion of about 25% of the world's 7.7 billion people. That's one in four people are Islamic. In comparison, Christianity makes up about 33%, most of which is Catholic, okay? And and then the other part is Protestant, obviously. The central confession in Islam is the uh, Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Muslim means one who submits, Islam teaches submission to Allah in all things. It is a code of honor, a system of law, and a way of life based on the Quran. One's level of devotion to this moral code determines their salvation. So how they follow the Quran determines if they're saved or not. Does that sound like works-based again? There you go. It is. works-based. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is considered Allah's last and greatest prophet. Muslims also believe that Abraham, Moses, and Jesus are great prophets. And Jesus is not considered to be God's son or the Messiah. Which really makes no sense, once again, if you believe that Jesus is a great teacher and a prophet of God, then why would his claims about being God's son not be true? You have to believe either the Bible is a book of lies, which they believe, or that Jesus was just kidding when he said those things. Muslims live by the pillars of Islam. Number one, I'll give you the pillars. Confession of faith. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Number two, daily prayers in the direction of the sacred mosque in Mecca, which is Islam's holiest city. Three, charity, giving 2% of their annual income to the poor. Christians tithe, we give 10%, so that makes us better, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I think I'm going to become a Muslim, so I only have to give 2%. I hope that's not you. But their annual, their 2% of their annual income goes to just the poor, a good Muslim. And understand, Muslims are not all the same exact. These are just the basic tenets of their faith. Much like Christianity, in, in this sense, there's lots of different groups within, and there's lots of different levels of commitment within. How many know some Christians who aren't very committed? That tends to go with Muslims as well. There are Muslims that you will meet, and they are the most hospitable, wonderful people. You would think you were were sitting with a bunch of great Christians just by sitting with them because they're so nice. And then there's others who, if you're a Christian, they just want to take your head off. So, you, you know, there's different levels of commitment to these things. Number fourth pillar of Islam, fasting at various prescribed times, especially during Ramadan, the holiest month of the Muslim year. I would venture to say that 
the Bible, I know the Bible talks about fasting, and many Christians in America at least ignore that, and Muslims probably outdo us in fasting by a long shot. And some of us could stand to fast a few more, or a little more than what we do, because we need to focus on what God wants for us, and we do that through fasting and prayer. The last pillar, pilgrimage. A pilgrimage to the city of Mecca, the birthplace of Muhammad, is expected of healthy and otherwise qualified Muslims at least once in their lifetime. This event draws well over two million pilgrims each year. See, Muslims can be divided into two main groups, Sunnis and Shia. The Sunnis make up about 85 to 90 percent of the world's Muslims, as Shia makes up about 10 to 15 percent. After the death of Prophet Muhammad, Muslims were divided into these two groups because of political differences. And according to Sunnis, Prophet Muhammad did not appoint himself a successor. The Muslim community unanimously selected Abu Bakr as the first caliph of Islam after Prophet Muhammad. A caliph is the spiritual leader of Islam who claims succession from Muhammad. The word uh, Muslim means successor. Abu Bakr was among the closest companions of Prophet Muhammad and also was, the fa- was, his, was, his, fa- was his father-in-law. Okay. On the other hand, Shi'i Muslims claim that the Prophet Muhammad wanted Ali, Ali ibn Abi Talib. Okay, I did pretty good on that one. As his successors, as they considered him to be the first caliph. A caliphate is the government that is under a caliph. And so, what I'm telling you is, is two groups formed, political groups formed. One believed this guy was a successor. Other ones believed that this guy was a successor, and they followed and they went different directions. Even though they believe they both adhere to Muhammad being their prophet. The Quran contains at least 109 verses that speak of war with non-believers, usually on the basis of their status as non-Muslims. Some are quite graphic with commands to chop off heads and fingers and kill infidels wherever they may be hiding. Muslims who do not join the fight are called hypocrites and are warned that Allah will send them to hell if they do not join the slaughter. Unlike nearly all of the Old Testament verses, because I've heard this before too. Are you with me this morning? You following? I'm assuming that your quietness is just like you're intensely listening. Some people say this, and I've heard this said to me in talking with people, well, the Old Testament's full of violent verses as well. True. But it's different. Most verses of, the viol- of violence in the Quran are open-ended, meaning that they are not necessarily restrained by historical context contained in the surrounding text, although many Muslims choose to think of them that way. They don't adhere to those things, but that's not the way they're written. They are part of the eternal, unchanging word of Allah and just as relevant or subject to interpretation as anything else in the Quran. Shh. Sharia is also something you should know about. Sharia law is the code of law derived from the Quran and from the teachings and the example of Muhammad. Sharia is the only applicable is only applicable to Muslims under Islamic law. There is no separation of church and state, and this is important because their religious beliefs are also their governmental authority. Their caliph is their religious leader as well as their political leader. 
Let me share some of uh, their Sharia law with you. And this is just right out of their stuff. I have a Quran in my office and I double check scriptures in the Quran, uh, their scriptures, to make sure that this stuff was true. But theft is punishable by amputation of the hands. Criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. Criticizing Muhammad or denying that he is a prophet is punishable by death. Criticizing or denying Allah is punishable by death. A Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim is punishable by death. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam is punishable by death. A non-Muslim man who marries a Muslim woman is punishable by death. A woman or a girl who has been raped cannot testify in court against her rapist. Testimony of four male witnesses are required to prove rape of a female. A woman or a girl who alleges rape without producing four male witnesses is guilty of adultery. Wow. A woman or a girl found guilty of adultery is punishable by death. A male convicted of rape can have his conviction dismissed by marrying his victim. Muslim men have sexual rights to any woman or girl not wearing the, how do you say that, the hijab, hijab, right? A woman can have one husband who can have up to four wives. Muhammad can have more. How convenient for Muhammad. It's nice when you get to make the rules just for yourself, right? A man can marry an infant girl and consummate the marriage when she is nine. I'm not even going to read that. It's too vulgar. A man can beat his wife for insubordination. A man can unilaterally divorce his wife. A wife needs her husband's consent to divorce. A divorced wife loses custody of all of her children over six years of age or when they exceed it. A woman's testimony in court allowed in property cases, carries half the weight of a man's. A female heir inherits half of what a male heir inherits. A woman cannot drive a car as it leads to fitna or upheaval. A woman cannot speak alone to a man who is not her husband or relative. Meat to eat must come from animals that have been sacrificed to Allah. Muslims are to subject the world under Islam or make sure that all of the world comes underneath Islam and use whatever force is necessary. Muslims should engage in, a, I can't read the word, tagavia and lie to non-Muslims to advance Islam. So even if it takes lying, they're, they're required to do it. And church, this is important because we live in a world that is in a state of turmoil over these things. Sharia law does not line up with American values, by the way or our laws. In the United States of America, we have a two-party system, right? Pretty much. One of those parties prides itself on human rights, women's rights, and homosexual rights, but there are those within that party who are not only full-blown Muslims, but have publicly endorsed at least parts of Sharia law. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not trying to be political here this morning, but some of the leaders within the same party have tried to paint Christians as the radicals that need to be controlled while honoring and lifting up those that practice Sharia law. Kill homosexuals, beat women. My, my point is that it doesn't make any sense. And it won't because it's the spirit of the Antichrist at work in this world. It doesn't make any sense. You're not going to be able to figure it out. 
You can watch Fox News all day long. You're not going to be able to figure it out. Or CNN or whatever other news program you watch. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work and he deceives people and they just, it doesn't even make any kind of sense whatsoever. It's interesting how the only women or the only woman who is mentioned by name in the Quran is Mary, the mother of Jesus. It says that she was a virgin and that Jesus was a great prophet. The Quran also talks about Adam, Noah, Abraham, and many other names that we would recognize. They have a high regard for Jesus and believe he performed miracles. So there's some common ground. How can he perform miracles if he wasn't the son of God? In talking with someone who's a practicing Muslim. But let me make something very clear to you. Allah is just it is not just another name for the God we serve. I've heard people say this, well, they serve Allah, we serve God, it's the same God, we just all come underneath. They do believe in one true God, but he's not the same one because our God, the God they worship, does not have the same characteristics as their God does, according to the Quran. And you have to understand that. You can't just plump them together and try to make peace or create peace. Let's be clear this morning, when Satan wants people to believe a lie, he'll throw just enough truth in there to make it believable. He mixes and waters down and uses man's pride and arrogance to produce lies that people follow. If I was going to talk to a, a Muslim person about Jesus Christ, first of all, I know this, that 80% of all Muslims that come to Christianity, and when they come to Christianity, they, they fear for their life in many cases because of Sharia law. To leave the Muslim faith is punishable by death. Definitely excommunication from the family. So they lose their family when they come to Jesus. That's, just, that's pretty much par for the course. But if I was talking to a, a Muslim, I would know this, that 80% of all Muslims that come to Christ do so through a vision or a dream that they have in the middle of the night of Jesus coming to them and saying, why are you persecuting me? Why don't you follow me? Here I am, receive me. That's an amazing thing. What does that make, why, why is that important that I know that? Because the first thing that I'm gonna do if I'm gonna talk to a Muslim is I'm gonna pray for some visions. God, give him a vision. Wake him up in the middle of the night. God, give her a vision. Let her see for you for who you really are. Visions are very important to them. Dreams are very important to them. So God uses those things. And then you begin to talk about Jesus Christ who was a great prophet and the son of God, the worker of miracles, the only way to heaven. You build bridges. You don't just cut them off and say, no, I'm not going to talk to you. You will find that all false religions have parts about them that are seemingly good, even similarities to Christianity. But ultimately, they'll always be works-based. They're sourced in man's ability to, excuse me, to perform. And this is true of Muslims as well. They may be the most devoted of any religious people. They pray more to their God than many of the born-again Christians sitting in this room today. They pray more to a false God than some of us pray to the one true God. They're active in fasting and truly make their Islamic beliefs a way of life. Let me get into some popular cults. And I've got to cruise right through here. 
Understand when I'm talking, that I'm not talking about denominations of Christianity today. Even though we could have a whole discussion on a number of Christian denominations that are arguably not Christian anymore. They're more humanistic than Christian than they left the truth of the Bible a long time ago. But I want to give you some info on some of the cults or groups that make claims about having a corner market on the truth and even present themselves as Christian denominations, yet they are so far from being Bible-based that we have no choice but to consider them cults. I'll start with one, and, and I've seen these creep into the church. In fact, when I came to this church, we had a church library that was full of material from this particular group of people, and they're the Jehovah Witnesses. People just don't know. Church people don't know. Things look good on the, on the surface, but underneath there's all this stuff. Charles T. Russell founded the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in Pennsylvania in 1872. The group became officially known as Jehovah Witnesses in 1931. They claimed worldwide membership of over 5.5 million with over 20% of them in the United States. Their belief is that they have been organized to announce the early establishment of God's rule on earth. The witnesses, us, uh, the witnesses believe the watchtower or use the watchtower to interpret the Bible and as their main means for spreading their doctrine. This little publication called the Watchtower. They also have their very own version of the Bible called the New World Translation, which is not a sanctioned translation. It merely changes verses so that the word lines up with their teaching better. That's a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous. They believe that Jesus Christ, who is the created son of is the created son of God, but not God himself. They believe he was sent to earth to be a perfect and blameless human to pay for Adam's sin. And this opens the door for us to prove our worthiness by performing, by being good enough again in and of ourselves. It's a common theme, isn't it? I'm telling you, every one of these false religions goes back to that same thing. Man's way of reaching God is by man being good enough or performing or doing something. The witnesses deny hell, they don't believe in hell, and they claim that only 144,000 will be in heaven while the rest of the faithful will be on the new earth. So only a fraction from their own church will make it, apparently. Charles T. Russell was their one true prophet, and he was the only one who could hear from God. And so he wrote these things down in the Watchtower magazine. When he died, uh, they didn't know what to do because their prophet was gone. So Joseph F. Rutherford moved uh, the organization to Brooklyn, New York, and established the governing body, which was a small group of, of men who continued to work and, and uh, hear from God. They became the new uh, uh, mouthpiece of God for the Watchtower. And so where it was taught before that only one could hear, now it was like several could hear. That's kind of a different thing, but... Um, their so-called revelations, they, they write those down in the watchtower and teach out of that. Here's the deal. They changed the Bible. They have no basis on which they could accurately do so, except for the claims of their leader. The watch, their watchtower magazine containing their God-given prophecies has claimed the coming of Christ at least eight times since their inception. It didn't happen yet. It's called a false prophet, folks. In the Old Testament, you'd stone somebody like that. We don't do that in New Testament, but Old Testament. There are so many holes in their theology, it's ridiculous. They are not mainline Christianity, even though they want to present themselves that way. They do not believe in the basic tenets of the faith. They are and should be considered a cult. And it's hard to even share your faith with them because they've changed the Bible to fit their own beliefs. 
Most people within this organization don't realize they're in a cult. They're good people, but they get sucked in by the members' willingness to visit them when they're hurting and they are down and out. So what the Jehovah Witnesses do to grow is they move into that territory that the Christians should be moving in, but don't do a lot of the times. And they meet people in their homes rather than telling them, just come to our church, come to our church, come to our church, which is good. I think we should come to our church. But you know, when someone's hurting, you need to go to them, right? It's amazing. The only records that Jehovah Witnesses keep are the amount of door-to-door witnessing that they do. And this is the most important requirement for their salvation. Again, proving that false religions always go back to self-performance or a works-based salvation. All right, time for another one? Are you okay with this or you want to go? You tired of this? Scientology. Or Christian science. You hear about it all the time, don't you? Sounds good, but it's a cult. It was founded in 1954 by L. Ron Hubbard. I don't know if his mother was old mother Hubbard. But <laughs> I could say a lot of things, so I'm not going to go there. The movement began with the popularity of the Hubbard's book, Dianetics, the modern science of mental health. They believe that they can use the methods of Scientology and become capable of raising their own spiritual awareness to the point of achieving immortality. Those who reach this level are called operating thetans. Students of Scientology called preclears are first taught a method call, called auditing that is designed to clear their mind of ingrams or negative mental images. Once they reach this state of, of clarity or clear, they follow the steps on the bridge to total freedom with the goal of becoming operating thetans, which are believed by Scientologists to have complete spiritual freedom, including immortality. A lot of Scientology and its books are marked are marketed as self-help books. Their organization enjoys it, uh, enjoys its big-time celebrities. Probably the most popular one is Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know that. Um, famous member. And uh, they get big checks for that kind of stuff, too, from, the, from those kinds of people. But they are a cult. Scientology is a cult. Jehovah Witnesses, cult. I don't have any problem saying that. Third one. Last one I'll give you this morning. The, the Mormon church. Mormonism. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was begun by Joseph Smith, Jr. in 1830 in Fayette, New York. Smith claims to have translated the Book of Mormon from golden tablets entrusted to him by the angel Moroni. I went, when I first saw that, I was like, Moroni, but I, Moroni, yeah, Moroni. And why do I say that? And I say it in joking, and it's not a joke because there's so many people uh, caught up in this, in this organization but their beliefs are really moronic when you get into them. Even the people within the church don't know what they believe until they get in the higher-ups, and they're fully, and sometimes it takes years and years and years. But when you get into it, it's unbelievable. By the way, Revelation 22, 18 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues that are described in the scroll. These are souls that are involved in these other religions, folks, and we need to know what they believe, and we need to know how to give a clear answer, don't we? In 1844, Smith and his brother were imprisoned and killed. Brigham Young moved the group to Salt Lake Valley where it flourished. Mormons believe that God was once a human, being just like us, and that we can become gods and earth... uh, 
We can be gods of our own earth and we can get admittance to a celestial heaven. Sorry. It's just so outlandish. Mormons do not believe in a triune God, but in three gods who are united in love and purpose. They don't believe in the Trinity like we do. And understand, Mormons oftentimes try to come across as mainline Christianity, especially recently. The, the, the uh, advertising on the television, even when they come to your door, they just want to share God's love um, and all this kinds of stuff. They, they use the verbiage that Christians do. They're sneaky. Very sneaky. There are three heavens to reach. The highest one, you must believe that Smith and his successors are true prophets. You got to be baptized as a Mormon, live a good life, obtain a celestial marriage, bear many children, attend all church functions, pay tithes to the church, and avoid alcohol and hot beverages and tobacco. I don't know what's up with hot beverages, but whatever. Mormon doctrine includes progressive revelation. This is interesting. The most recent revelations of the current living prophets supersede previous doctrines. So you can, ever, you can always change what it means and what, what they believe. They can always change it because the new prophet can supersede the old one. That's scary, right? When truth is absolute, it's absolute, and that's what we believe. It's truth. It's been truth as long as it's existed. And his name is Jesus Christ because he is the truth. You know, this is why they could believe in polygamy at one time, but somehow they don't believe in polygamy now. And it was wrong. I don't know. It's, it's illegal, but some of them still practice it. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, you, you get the picture. And, and really, when it comes down to it, all their beliefs are based off a of 12-year-old's dreams. That's how old Joseph Smith was when he dreamt of the angel telling him the location of the tablets and received the translation. In fact, I'll say this, that... Originally, it wasn't an angel that visited him. They had to change that because it was more believable. It was some kind of reptilian alien creature that visited him. I'm not lying. There is no evidence of this, reoc- or of this occurring, any of this stuff occurring. No eyewitnesses. You know, we talked about the manuscript evidence of the Word of God. There's no evidence with the Book of Mormon. Just the rantings of a 12-year-old who later organized a movement which was, has grown close to 9 million members half of which are in the United States. Again, you can't earn salvation. It's a free gift. It's offered by God through the sacrificial death of his only son, Jesus Christ. All these other religions, all these other cults, they always go back to your ability. And I hope I've driven that point home. I'm sure I did. Folks, in this whole thing, and I'm I'm wrapping up right now, Christianity is different. It's different. Because it all depends on what God has done for us. And he's done great things for us. When you are sharing your faith with people and you get these kind of questions, well, what about all the other religions? You can begin to share, no other religion is like Christianity. No other belief system is like Christianity. In fact, we're not even necessarily a religion by some definitions. We're just a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He offers us a chance for heaven through the death of his son. We just have to accept that gift. Accept that shed blood. Accept the fact that his love ran red for us. You know? And yes, because of that, we love him. And we're like, wow, God, I can't believe you did that for us. And because of that, we want to line our life up with his word and we want to do good things. And that's the result. But that's not how you get there. You get there just by saying, yes, 
I am a sinner, I am lost, and I need you, Jesus. That's it. That's why the person who dies in a car wreck, if he cries out to the name of Jesus right before impact, that person can go to heaven. You say, well, what if he lived like a total hellion? What if he did? If he cries out to the name of Jesus, I believe he's saved. Now, don't wait till the last minute. Okay? Because you're going to miss out on a great life. And you don't want to get in by the skin of your teeth. But it's not about performance. We are holy out of a love relationship with him. Not out of a, we have to earn our salvation by being holy. That's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart. In fact, you can visit every one of these so-called prophets from all these different religions, from Muhammad to Joseph Smith. You can visit every one of their graves, but you can't visit the grave of Jesus Christ. His body is not on this earth. Jesus lived a perfect life free of sin, although he was tempted in every way that we are. He was falsely accused, falsely condemned, and put to death on a Roman cross, innocent as he was. And he did it because he loved you. And he doesn't expect you to change from the outside in. That would be works-based, and that would be religious. He says, come to me as you are, enter into a relationship with me, and I will change you from the inside out. I recently had someone that uh, started coming to church, and I won't give names, but they said, um, I met with them. They hadn't been going to church very long. They hadn't gone to church, really. They weren't church people. And they made the comment that, that uh, when we were having lunch, I like the church. I like, I like everything about it, but I just have to ask you one question. Do I have to quit partying and drinking if I go to your church? I said, No. But when you go to our church long enough, you won't want to party and drink anymore. That, isn't that the truth? That's the truth. So I thought, okay, I can live with that. That was, that was kind of the, the comment back. I mean, it wasn't three weeks later. Certain somebody was down here at the altar. Certain somebody talked to me after church and said, hey, I don't want to party and drink anymore. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm just, that's how it works. That's how it works. And church, we have to have good answers. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I need to end because it's time and the roasts are burning, right? Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.